0: If you're seeking Biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Quasney, Husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher, join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is biblical counseling today.
1: Marriage was created by God to solve one of our biggest problems as human beings, aloneness. In Genesis two eighteen, we read, then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. By God's grace, he instituted marriage as a covenant of companionship. So men and women do not have to walk alone through this life. But can enjoy it together, labor together, serve the Lord together, and even raise kids together. But due to the entrance of sin, God's glorious institution of marriage itself has become a problem. Now, every marriage created by God includes a sinful man and a sinful woman. Two sinners enter marriage each and every time. So, all marriages have problems because all people have problems. But you already know that about yourself and your spouse, don't you? Especially about your spouse. It doesn't take long in marriage for us to figure out that we have problems that need to be solved. Problems in marriage can bring out a variety of responses. Some couples work hard to ignore the problems between them. Some couples try to solve the problems but give up after they are unsuccessful. Some couples seem to enjoy fighting about everything and anything. Some couples keep score and so both spouses feel resentful when they lose. Some couples actually solve problems and enjoy greater intimacy and oneness. Of course, for most Christian marriages, we can find ourselves in all of these places, depending on the problem at hand. Even though we will never solve all of our problems in marriage, because again we are two sinners, it is a fundamental duty in marriage to work to solve as many as possible. Problem solving is never fun, but it is To ignore problems is a recipe for distance, resentment, anxiety, and depression. To quit dealing with certain problems is to lack faith and hope in the work of the Spirit. To use unresolved problems just to fight about everything is not pleasing to God either. To make marriage into a competition and only feel better if you win or get your way is the height of self-centeredness. It is certainly a wonderful thing when there is such unity in your marriage that it has very few problems to deal with at the moment. But good news, there's always another problem to solve on the horizon. So let's dig down deep into the heart of the matter of marital problem-solving, committing to not just avoiding them or ignoring them. In marriage, our problems come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. Sometimes the things we are in conflict about are major. Sometimes we are making mountains out of molehills. Whatever the case and whatever the source of the problem, we must be diligent to work together to solve it, no matter how big or how small. Problem solving goes to the heart of our one flesh relationship. If God makes two people into one, then it makes sense that we should walk together, be committed to the same things, and to even grow to think alike. Now, this doesn't mean that we'll always agree on everything, as wonderful as that would be. More importantly in a Christian marriage we are both to be conforming to the image of Christ and thereby growing more deeply in agreement with one another. The hope is if we are maturing in Christ and in our marriage we will work more and more as a team rather than as two individuals fighting for our own way. So let's get down to business and think about how to solve some of the common problems in marriage. Now the best way to organize our thinking about problem solving is to divide them up into basic categories. So let's begin with category number one, problems that arise from a specific sin. Examples of this category are April catches Bob texting inappropriately to a woman at work. Dina confesses to Charles that she has been stealing money and setting up her own secret bank accounts to hide it. Edgar blows up at Francis and curses her out threatening to hit her. Well these and others remind us again that every marriage consists of two sinners who will inevitably sin against one another. These sins may be large or small in the human sense. They may be ongoing or only incidental. Certainly the bigger they are more enduring they are the harder they are to solve. So how do we best solve problems in this category? Well, Scripture gives us the formula. First, for the spouse who has sinned. This spouse is to make a godly apology, confessing the sin or sins completely. This must come in humility, humbling self before God first. The confession must be specific, not general. The sinner must stay away from but. I'm sorry I did that, but you... And it's not just about saying, I'm sorry, but I was wrong when I did such and such. So make a godly apology. Second, ask for forgiveness. Again, this sinner must make it clear what they need to be forgiven of, what was done wrong in this situation that created this problem. After asking for forgiveness, the person who has sinned must commit to a life of confession and repentance, turning from this sin, confessing again when the sin crops up in the future. So that's for the spouse who has sinned. What about the spouse who was sinned against? Well, if the sin was either caught or maybe it's unconfessed, you may have to confront biblically. You may have to confront your spouse lovingly, respectfully, graciously, being willing to listen, responding well to the sinner. Understanding your spouse may be even slow to confess or not confess completely. But then second, when your spouse confesses, you must forgive. Forgive clearly and completely. Even though the hurt may take time to heal, forgive from the heart. Promise to not bring it up again to other people or to yourself. Third, reconcile to your spouse in love. Do not keep your distance. Or stay away for a while. Deal with your own hurt, your own anger, your own anxiety. Then fourth, believe that your spouse will repent if he says he or she will. Believe the best, even if it is hard to trust. Give your spouse that you love the gift of trust. So if these problem-solving procedures are practiced in a godly, gracious way, then a couple will be able to move forward and move closer to one another unfortunately we humans have a way of making problems worse in this category so how do we do that well unfortunately it's fairly easy we can continue to hide our sin from one another we can refuse to confess our sins to our spouse we can refuse to forgive when our spouse actually asks for forgiveness We can repeat our sin regularly, continuing to wound our spouse. Or finally, we can foster distrust and fear in our marriage as we sin against one another. That's why we need the work of the Spirit when outright sin is involved. He alone is the one who can humble us and bring us to repentance and reconciliation. So that's the first category, problems that arise directly from one spouse sinning against the other. What's the second category? Category number two, problems that arise simply from individual differences. Now, these sorts of problems include male and female differences, as well as our own personality differences. Sometimes what happens is we make these differences out to be right or wrong when we should understand them as simply differences. For example, men and women often communicate differently. When Hal comes home, he notices his wife, Irene, is in a bad mood. He asks her if anything's wrong. Irene says nothing is wrong. By this, she means that so many things are wrong that she cannot put her finger on one thing alone. And besides, anybody can see that something is wrong. He says, good, for a second there, I thought something was wrong, and sits in his recliner and watches the news. You know what happens later that evening. Explosion. Of course, Hal defends his position by saying that he asked. Well, men and women communicate differently, don't they? And men and women also are oriented differently. Generally speaking, women tend to be more oriented to relationships, while men are more oriented to tasks. Men and women also think differently and react to situations differently. When Irene is distraught over something, Hal thinks he is helping by lecturing her on why it all happened in the first place. His gift of analysis, however accurate, is not helpful in these situations. Irene doesn't need information. She needs compassion and probably a hug. In addition to male and female differences in marriage, there are many problems that arise simply because our personalities are different, our upbringings were different, or our early experiences were different as well. So let's talk about how to solve problems that occur in this category. First, recognize that these are just differences, nothing more, nothing less. These are not sins or one way is right and the other is wrong. Second, confess and repent of your own self-righteousness, the attitude that my way is better than your way. Third, work hard to understand what makes the other person tick. Instead of just rejecting them, or thinking your spouse is weird or unknowable, you need to learn them. You can know and understand your spouse. Fourth, celebrate the differences that you have. Yes, this is hard to do at times, but if you really love your spouse and are grateful for all that he or she is, you can actually get to a place of enjoying the differences that you have. And then finally, show grace and work through the differences together talk about them, understand one another, relate to one another, get into each other's shoes. Now again we mentioned in our last category that we can and do make problems worse. So how do we make these problems worse? Well first by being stubbornly set in our own ways. Just because you have always done things a certain way or think a certain way doesn't mean that you can't change. Or second, when you self-righteously think your way is best. Or third, when you are aggressive or manipulative in forcing your way of doing things on the other person. Any of these things will make problems that are simply differences much worse. Well, let's move on to category three. Problems that arise from competing needs and desires. Well, here are a few examples Most Saturdays, Jack wants the whole family to go and do something together, any activity at all, preferably something fun. Kate, on the other hand, likes to stay home on Saturdays, get some chores done, and maybe run an errand or two. Nathan likes to watch TV in his free time. Olivia hates the television and would rather the couple talk or read together. Miriam likes to shop. Not foolishly, but she likes to buy things for herself, her kids, and for other people. Peter likes to save as much money as possible. Well, just like the last category of problems, these aren't not sins necessarily, but differences of desires or even needs. Much of the time in marriage, we can enjoy the things we desire and need. The problem comes when the worlds collide, so to speak, like in these cases. So how do we solve problems like this? Well, let me give you five different ideas. First, in some cases, there will be a so-called winner and a so-called loser. Spouses have to be realistic that they can't win or get their way every single time. Second, seek compromise where it can be found. For Jack and Kate, there's opportunity to plan Saturdays that will give them both some of what they desire, both activities that are fun and working around the house or just being in the home. Third, be sacrificial. Love and compassion should override my need to have what I want. Learn to give and give in lovingly. Fourth, seek to understand why the need or desire of your spouse is so important. Instead of just assuming that your spouse is being selfish, Try to learn what motivates him or her. And finally, recognize the difference between a need and a desire. There are really not that many needs in marriage. Nathan doesn't need to watch TV every night. He just wants to. Miriam doesn't have to shop all the time. She just likes to. Well, how then again do couples make the problems in this category worse the category of competing needs and desires first when one or both spouses are unwilling to compromise ever second when one spouse feels like he or she is always losing always sacrificing always doing without whether this is perceived or factual third when spouses fight for their own way because they have turned a desire into a need perceived needs are always harder to give up than desires. And fourth, when a couple comes to believe that they are just way too different from one another, when they think they share no interests, no real needs or desires in common. Now let's talk about category number four, problems that arise during decision-making. Married couples have to make joint decisions all the time. Even small decisions can become a problem if not handled well. Big decisions, by definition, are just that much tougher. Well, here's some examples of problems in this category. Sarah wants to homeschool the children. Tom wants them to stay in public school. Randy wants to change jobs and maybe leave the state. Sally doesn't want to move, ever. Walter and Vicky need to choose a church. Walter wants to go to the Presbyterian church, and Vicky wants to go to her Baptist church. Well, let's talk about how to solve these sorts of problems. First, both spouses must be committed to what God wants, what God's will is, rather than just how they think the decision should go. This means committing to pray individually and together. This means submitting to what is best. Second, Both spouses must do their best to be objective. Of course, this is never totally possible. You are not just objective lawyers arguing for a particular side in the decision. This is personal. Yet spouses need to try to be somewhat objective in the process. Third, spouses should work to listen well to each other's point of view and present your own case well. Be able to accurately repeat the other spouse's thinking and be patient. Fourth, seek outside counsel when necessary, someone that would lead you biblically through the decision-making process. Fifth, set up what I call a conference table sort of format. Have a designated place in your home, maybe a a little utility table or card table with two chairs that you designate for this kind of decision-making. Have a Bible and a notebook to consult and to keep a record of your thoughts. Strive to have real discussions at this conference table, just as if you had a business partner and you would need to make a decision together. Six, don't delay a decision and thereby make a decision by default. That is a manipulative stalling technique. Seventh, if at the end of all this process there's still no agreement, Husband, as spiritual head, is responsible to break the tie. Now again, let me be clear, agreement is definitely the priority for the sake of the marriage. And again, this doesn't mean that husband just votes his way either. But husband is to take the lead in decision making in the end. Eighth, both spouses then commit to one another to support the decision. Well, this is very hard, isn't it? But it is the way of spiritual maturity, and it is the way to promote unity in the marriage. So how can we make these sorts of problems in this category much worse? Well, of course, by violating all of these eight procedures. But here are some specific ways that couples have formulated over the years. First, the we-do-our-own-thing approach. When husband and wife are in a pattern of making their own decisions without consulting one another. Or when husband expects wife to consult him, but he makes decisions without presenting them to her first. Or second, the do-whatever-you-want approach. This occurs when one spouse just bitterly capitulates to the other. You always do whatever you want anyway, so make your decision. Another version is when one spouse just goes along with the other, thinking it is more important to keep the peace or to keep him or her happy rather than making a good decision. This approach is passive and ultimately manipulative. Or third, the I tried that once approach. Maybe the husband has given up trying to agree on a decision. He says, my wife never comes to me for decisions. The one time she did come to me, I made the decision, but she resisted it. So I concluded she really didn't want me to make a decision. I tried that once. Now this may be a lack of submission on a wife's part, but it could also be abdication on the husband's part. And fourth, the I told you so approach. A decision has to be made and the husband and wife hold different opinions. After discussion, the husband abdicates and they do what the wife wanted. Everything goes wrong. Husband is bitter and says, I told you so. This is all your fault. Or husband makes a decision and the wife holds bitterness and unforgiveness. Our inability to come to agreement on decisions often shows one of a few things. That we are not putting the required time into it. Or maybe we're lacking in intimacy and love for one another. Or we are spiritually immature, unwilling to work together as a team that God has designed. Now let's go to category number five, problems that arise from outside stressors. Problems that arise from outside stressors. Well, we could give all sorts of examples here, but here are some of the big ones. Children, differences in parenting coupled with difficult children. Or second, in-laws and extended family issues. Third, money, especially lack of money. Fourth, health issues. Or fifth, time, responsibilities, and busyness sort of issues. So how do we solve these sorts of problems that are simply a result of outside stressors? Well, each one certainly has its unique issues and challenges, which is beyond the scope of this particular podcast episode. But let's go over a few important principles. First, determine whether the outside stressor is uniting us or dividing us. In other words, do we agree on the solution and just find it stressful to implement it? Or is the stress revealing our differences? For example, we may be totally in agreement on how to handle each of our difficult in-laws. Yet since they are family, which makes it personal, we are having a problem trying to implement it on the other hand we disagree on how to handle our financial issues one spouse wants the other spouse to work more the other spouse wants to make more spartan like cutbacks second we must remember that god is sovereign and he is using these stressors to sanctify us and pull us together not tear us apart on the other hand satan would love to use difficult times to break our marriage up. Third, unity and agreement is the highest priority. For example, when we're struggling in parenting, spouses must seek to come together first rather than just parenting their own way. Or the way we use our time, our priorities, our responsibilities, changes in those should be connected to our unity as husband and wife first. And then fourth, comfort and encourage one another in cases where there is nothing you can really do about it. For example, health issues are tough, but we aren't in control of those most of the time. Stress can make us retreat from one another instead of care for one another. So use the opportunity of stressful times to love one another. Again, lean on the sovereign grace of God and serve each other. So how can we make these sorts of problems in this category much worse? Well, first, we can let the stress dominate. If we give in to fear, worry, and anxiety, we'll just create more problems in our marriage. Or when we forget that God is in control and we stop trusting him. Second, we can keep turning on each other during stressful times. Unfortunately, we can often act more like siblings during tough times or worse, like mortal enemies. Instead of solving the problem, we just desperately claw at each other. Or third, the couple can refuse to seek biblical counseling. A stressful situation is clearly the time to seek a pastor, a biblical counselor for help. When couples try to handle things that are over their heads by themselves, then that pride can lead to a fall. And fourth, by making this all about me, neglecting your spouse's pain. Instead of working together, Getting too focused on self can occur. For example, health issues can cause one spouse to say, I'm lonely or I miss us when the other spouse is experiencing the exact same loss. Now let's look at one last category of problems that must be solved in marriage. Category six, problems that arise from individual problems. Remember our fundamental principle of problem solving? The central problem is always sin because every marriage is made up of two sinners. The reality is that husband and wife both bring baggage into the marriage. They both bring particular problems along with them, some that have been lifelong and life-dominating as well. Here are some examples. Ken has always been an anxious guy, even having panic attacks as a teenager. Lori doesn't know what to do with Ken's frequent bouts of anxiety. Matt drank a lot in high school and even experimented with drugs. He said he quit before marrying Nora, but has started drinking every now and then in marriage. Pam has a history of depression, even some possible bipolar depression. She didn't tell her husband Sam about it until two years into their marriage. So how do we solve these sorts of problems that creep into our marriage? Well, first, solve the individual problem. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? The individual spouse should solve his or her problem. Of course, that isn't easy, or they would have done it long before marriage. But the reality is that we're all individually responsible to seek to grow and solve our problems in Christ. Second, recognize that these individual problems are marital problems now. That can certainly be hard to swallow. But when God made the two into one flesh, there are no longer individual problems, really. So each spouse must help the other with their individual problem. Each spouse must be encouraged and loved, but also challenged and rebuked at times. And then third, seek biblical counseling together. Don't just send your spouse to counseling alone for their individual problem. Remember, this is now a marital problem. The marriage is impacted. The marriage may have made the problem worse or more difficult in some way. At the very least, you go with your spouse to counseling to be a support. And so you can hear the same things as you work through the problem together. So how can couples make this category of problems much worse? Well, they can become self-righteous, thinking that I don't have individual problems, you do. Or you can become angry and bitter at your spouse. If you didn't know about the problem until after you're married, then it is understandable that you might be upset. Yet if you hold on to this bitterness, it will only add to the problem. Or third, simply avoiding your own individual problems. You are not being compassionate and loving to your spouse if you're not committed to your own growth in Christ. Well, let me wrap this brief discussion up about problem solving with some closing principles that we married couples need to hold on to. First, problem solving is hard, but it is well worth the effort. Second, always see problems as opportunities. Even if the problem isn't solved, we always have the opportunity to glorify God and grow to be more like Christ. Third, problems often escalate and lead to bigger battles because of a lack of a conflict cushion. That occurs where there's really no quantity conversation. Remember my 12 to 15 hour rule. And so there's no cushion to fall on. Every conversation is about a problem. Without a cushion, every word hurts more. Every conversation seems painful. We need that conflict cushion built up in our marriage to handle any of these problem categories and then next if you're discouraged consider the problems that have been solved we can get stuck in the problems at hand but if you've been married for a while you should see where growth has occurred it'll help you grow your faith and hope and then finally always believe that your spouse wants to solve problems just as much as you do you may actually be married to someone who doesn't really want to solve some of the problems in your marriage. But according to 1 Corinthians 13, love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It is much better to believe the best than simply think the worst. So trust God in your problem solving and don't just assume that you're the only one in your marriage who wants to fix things. Self-righteousness will only take the energy and desire out of problem-solving, while faith, hope, and love will
0: move us towards one another in Christ. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Quasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.